Hi, this is Mike Morris. Welcome to another edition of Open Mic Home Edition. Today, we are talking to Karen McDonald, who is running to unseat Jessica Cooper, the long-term Oakland County prosecutor. She's been prosecutor since 2008. She's running again. Karen is challenging her. And I think this is going to be a very interesting race in Oakland County. So I wanted to talk to Karen, why she thinks she should be elected. And I'll let her tell you about all of her platforms and, and what's happening in her race. So let's welcome Karen McDonald to the show. Joining us this morning is Mike Morse and Corey's Top Dirty. Mike Morse. Mike Morse is in here to tell us about the backpack giveaway. We uh, adapt and adapt and change things up a little bit every year. Hi, and thank you for having me. Um, I am Karen McDonald, and I am running for prosecutor, as you just stated. Um, I actually was a, I'm a former circuit court judge, so I stepped down a year ago from um, the bench, the Oakland County Circuit Court, so that I could run for prosecutor, which is required when you go from a nonpartisan seat to a partisan seat. So I am running against the incumbent in the Democratic primary, which is August 4th. Now, stepping down from the bench, as you know, Mike, is a bold move. I could have had that job probably for the rest of my career. But I think it's just, we're in a moment right now where people have to kind of decide if they're going to sit on the sidelines and complain and be upset and disgusted with what's going on, or are you gonna do something about it? And every day in my courtroom, I had people coming in front of me and usually they had one of two issues. They had a substance abuse issue or a mental health issue. And our current prosecutor doesn't participate in our treatment courts, our problem solving courts, which are all over the country. We have them in Oakland County. We have a drug court. We have a veterans court. We're hoping to start a mental health court. And these are ways of diverting nonviolent, low-level offenders who have issues which brought them to the criminal justice system and not sending them to prison or jail at a very high cost to the taxpayers. And we're not what, addressing wait, Let me cut you off, Karen. What does that mean she's not participating? So the statute, the law that, that um, creates these allows us to have these treatment courts or problem solving courts requires the prosecutor's participation, the judge, the prosecutor, the defense attorney, and then there's a whole treatment team. And the reason it requires that participation is so that the prosecutor can say, no, I don't think this person should go to treatment court or at the end when they do everything they're supposed to do, they can get their, their charge dis dismissed or reduced. When in 2008, when my opponent took office, she said, I'm not participating. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a social worker. That's not my job. I'm not doing it. They actually had to do an emergency rewrite um, in the legislature in Lansing just so Oakland County could have these courts. So we have them, but they're just not as effective because we don't have the prosecutor sitting at the table. So the judge can really only affect sentencing, not like reducing the crime or dismissing the crime. So, okay. So you plan on being fully involved in this system day one and you know the prosecutor's office is filled with about 100 assistant prosecutors give or take and most of them um really do want to participate in these courts they they're willing to roll up their sleeves and and look for solutions and most in fact we're the only county in the whole state that doesn't have prosecutors involved in our treatment courts and the other thing i'd really like to do is implement with um you know in cooperation with the the oakland circuit court bench a mental health treatment court you know if you go to Oakland County Jail right now, there's something called K-Block, and that's where people who have significant mental health concerns go, and it would really 
really disturb you. Um, we have to treat uh, the underlying reason why someone is in the criminal justice system. And police officers will tell you, and judges and prosecutors and defense attorneys, that someone who is in, in charge with the crime because it's an untreated, serious mental health issue, incarceration or jailing, it's not, it's really not helping. And it's not actually, it's not a deterrent because it's the, the mental health issue that got them there in the first place. So it's just a way of looking at real reform that we need in Oakland County desperately. We're lagging behind. You know, we have to figure out ways to reduce this mass incarceration. And we, the way we do that is by diversion programs for low-level nonviolent offenders. Um, we, we eliminate cash bail. Over half of the people in the Oakland County Jail right there now are there because they cannot post a cash bail. So if you and I were both pulled over for drunk driving, it was our first offense, we get arrested, you have the $200 cash bail, I don't have $200, I, I stay in jail until my trial date. You go home and go to work and take care of your family. I'm not in jail because I'm more of a threat. I'm just in jail because I didn't have $200. So it's just, a, it's a common sense approach and also it's rooted in fairness. And what's going on right now isn't fair or just. Did you know that over 90% of the people who can't make bail end up pleading guilty to a crime? And if you, and the people who get out on bail plead guilty only 50% of the time. Did you, I, mean, I didn't know that. That, that is a crazy statistic. I am diving in to the bail problem here in Michigan. I'm actually doing a podcast on Monday with two young ladies who run Detroit's Bail Project, who bail out almost anybody in Oakland County, Wayne County, Washtenaw County, $5,000 and less, unless it's their third offense. So almost there's like almost no rules if they can't afford their bail, they will come out and bail you out today. So if people are watching this, Google the Bail Project Detroit. It's under the Justice Center uh, logo and organization. And they're doing amazing, amazing work that is, is mind-blowing. I've had meetings with them. I'm learning about it. Um, bail is a very bad thing. It's being used wrong. They told me a story that I'm going to get into on my podcast Monday that you'll get a notice of because I know you're a fan of the open mic show, um, that they had to bail out a woman in Wayne County, $1 bail. $1 this woman couldn't post. They had to come in and get her out, which- You know how much, you know how much it costs to house her in, in the it, county jail? I mean, that's just, it doesn't make sense, but it's also not fair. I mean, we're denying somebody their due process rights simply because of their economic means. So, and a lot of times these are really low level offenses that they're And I think it's important for your um, listeners to, to kind of explain a little bit why the statistic you um, just stated was, is so troubling. If you're in jail, that same scenario, you and I are both arrested, you get to go home. We're both facing a drunk driving offense. I'm still in jail. My trial in the meantime, you're out, you're talking to your attorney you're helping prepare your defense. You're supporting my family. I'm home. I'm relaxed. Yep. yep. And I'm in jail. So I, I'm, I'm going to lose my job. I got to get out of there as soon as possible. I have to parent my children. I can't pay my bills. And I don't really have the opportunity to assist in my own defense. So my pretrial comes up 
and we're on the same day and you come in there, you know, cause you're well rested and everything's, you know, you've kept your job, you're in your home, you're paying your bills and you come in there with your attorney and you say, you know, we're going to set it for trial. But I'm there with my court appointed attorney who I might've met with only once for a few minutes. And my, my choice is the same. I can go to trial or plead guilty, but if I plead guilty, they're probably going to give me time served and I go home. So what would you do? Sure. I know what I would do. I would plead guilty because I want to get back to my family and my job. And so that's why that statistic is so troubling. We, it is, you, it's a, it's a setup for people who don't have any money. So now there are, so why, don't you, why don't you take a minute and explain what the original basis for bail was since you're a former judge, um, you know, the, the whole, let's just, let's just break it down a little bit as to the original purpose of bail and how it's being misused. And then I'm gonna ask you a hard question, Karen. If you're elected Oakland County prosecutor, how are you going to tell your prosecutors to act differently than the current system right now? Okay, so the court rule says that um, in consideration of bail, you should um, judges should consider two things. Um, whether or not that person's a, a threat or risk to our community, a danger to our community if they are released, and whether what's their likelihood of appearing for their next trial date. Those are the two things. And you have to take into consideration their ability to pay. The reality is though, when you're a judge, you get you have the prosecutor and you have the defense attorney um, making an argument about bail. Right now, all criminal cases start in the district courts. We don't have prosecutors at those arraignments. There are bonds addressed later on down the road, so prosecutors are there. But the very first arraignment right now, we don't have a prosecutor there. And I've challenged my um, opponent on this, and I've also talked to a lot of district court judges, and I have also was an assistant prosecutor. Getting a prosecutor at an arraignment um, is, is, not, is not difficult, especially now what we know about COVID. It's very easy to appear virtually, right? So if you're a judge and you have the prosecutor not asking for a cash bail. And of course the defense attorney isn't going to ask for a cash bail. They're trying to represent their client and get them out. Guess what? Nine times out of 10, the judge is not going to set a cash bail. There's a lot of data on um, what, how we can effectively get people to reappear for their next trial date or their court date. And it's not because of cash bail, actually. There's a lot, um, it's things like text messaging them to remind them you know, people don't come to their next court date usually because they're running. They don't come because they don't have reliable transportation. They don't come because they didn't get noticed. They don't come because they couldn't, they forgot about it. Or if they leave their employment that day, their boss says they're fired. There's all sorts of reasons people don't come. But for the most part, people show up. And it's not because of that $200 they posted. Now, there are instances, Mike, where we want people to remain in jail pending their trial. Um I presided over the personal protection order docket when I was a judge. Um, many of these uh, people who were served their personal protection order by their, um, say, for example, their wife or girlfriend, um, they were served. They're not allowed to go near them. The minute they get it, they, they go straight to the um, petitioner and assault her again. So in, in that case, there were cases where I would deny bail or set a very high cash bail because I've already, that person's already shown me that he's not gonna listen to any kind of order. And that woman's, her safety is, is in danger. So we can't do away with it completely. There are instances where it's appropriate, but they're rare. And the second, the answer to your second question is the most important thing. 
what I'm going to do is say to my assistant prosecutors, the presumption is no cash bail. So don't ask for a cash. First of all, I'm going to get a prosecutor at every arraignment, which is very um, doable um, because of what I just said about attending virtually, or there's a lot of times there's already a prosecutor in the building when those arraignments are going on. And second, really thinking through why are you asking for a cash bail? Right now, it's just, that's what you do. You ask for the highest cash bail when it appears. You, you charge the highest crime you possibly can. You ask for the highest sentence you possibly can. And there are instances where maybe that's appropriate, but we need to give discretion to assistant prosecutors to make those decisions based on the actual case that's before them. It makes no sense for you, for me, or the person charged that somebody who is being arrested and charged with a driving while license suspended second is spending 30 days in the Oakland County Jail because they can't post a $200 cash bail. That just doesn't make sense. So that's what and, I want to. No, that's a, so that's a huge difference between you and your opponent. I agree yeah. with what you're saying. I, I think the, the, the bail project, the national bail project out of the Bronx, New York, they have now 30 offices across, across the country. Their statistics are showing that when they pay the money for somebody to get out, so these people have no connection to that money anymore. They don't have to pay it back. They don't have to show. 93% show, yes. which goes to show the money, like you just said, I'm just verifying what you said with statistics. 93% of the people who show up has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with bail. If you're a district court judge listening to this, it just has nothing to do with the money. And so it just you're just costing taxpayer money by housing these people, they're going to plead guilty to things that they didn't do just to get out of that hell hole. And, and they're losing their job. They're losing maybe housing and maybe their children are being removed because sometimes that's, they're the people taking care of their kids. There might be a single parent. There's so many other, there's so it's, it's this trickle effect that really at the end of the day makes our community less safe, not more. And, and, and like you said, Karen, these are not dangerous to society. These are, these are not dangerous. If somebody's dangerous, they're staying in jail. Yeah. I mean, and that's, most of us agree on that. It, there's the controversy isn't whether somebody, everybody agrees. If if somebody poses a threat or is dangerous, we don't, I mean, I have a family, we, 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 we don't want that person on the street, but that's not what we're talking about. And I think the real, the real difference that you see between me and my opponent is that most issues that are important to me, her response is always, it's not my job. It's not the prosecutor's job. Judges set bails. You know, it's not the prosecutor's job to be in the treatment courts. That's, I'm not a social worker. You know, um, we, she stated recently that in a forum that she, Oakland County doesn't see racial disparity. Okay. Well, that's, that's kind of crazy. Like anybody knows, look around what's going on in the world. There's, there's some serious racial disparity going on in our criminal justice system. We need transparency. We need to be very um, open to the public about who we're charging, what they're charging them with, what community they come from, the rate we're convicting people of color versus white people. All that has to be on the table and, and for public consumption in order for us to really change that. Um, so, you know, look, we... You know, we, we deserve a prosecutor who wants to commit themselves to reform and change because what we know based on what's happening in our nation and our state that we need, we desperately need it. 
This is a nationwide issue. It's a statewide issue. I'm happy to say that as of yesterday, I was endorsed by the Lieutenant Governor of Michigan, who is very dedicated to criminal justice reform. And I've also been endorsed by countless elected officials from the Attorney General of Michigan all the way down to our state and um, local legislators and city officials, too many to name, and about 20 labor unions, including the UAW and the MEA, which are which are you know pretty big deals for somebody challenging a, a 12-year incumbent. I agree, and you're both Democrats, and I think that this is unusual. I mean, I follow politics. I've been involved, been a, a trial lawyer for almost 30 years, so unfortunately, I have to be involved. But this is unusual. This is an unusual race. There's not usually a Democrat taking on a Democrat in a safe, pretty safe incumbent seat. I also find it interesting, and I want to get into this, that Kim Worthy um, has endorsed you, which I was impressed with. And so what, what I want to dive into now is the Conviction Integrity Unit. Um, you and I talked offline a little bit about this. It's a passion of mine to help the wrongfully convicted get exonerated. I'm spending a lot of time and energy learning about that. I'm meeting with people who have been let out. I'm meeting with innocence clinic directors and people who run these programs. And I'm blown away by the programs. I'm blown away by the fraud that goes on in our courts, for lack of a better word, um, from judges and prosecutors and horrible defense attorneys and on and on and on. And Kim Worthy a few years ago set up uh, the Conviction Integrity Unit of Wayne County run by Valerie Newman, correct? Yes. And you're very familiar with this unit. You're very familiar with Kim and Valerie. You've spent lots and lots and lots of hours on that. Um, this unit, and please correct me if I'm wrong, goes back in time, even sometimes before Kim Worthy was the prosecutor, sometimes when she was the prosecutor, and looks at cases with a new lens, whether it be new evidence, whether it be new arguments brought to her, and they can single-handedly dismiss a case, even if a person's doing life, 20, 40, 50 years, and they're doing that at a I'm going to say good and an alarming rate, which mm -hmm. shows how many people are wrongfully incarcerated. And I'm going to show a clip right now. When I asked your opponent, Jessica Cooper, if she's going to set up one of these units. So let's just take a look. I've, I've been following what your colleague Kim Worthy has been doing in the conviction integrity unit. Well, and, my. and first, I guess this is completely off topic, but, important and people are looking for things to do at home. So hopefully they'll find this interesting. Does Oakland County have any plans to, to do anything similar to, to what Prosecutor Worthy is doing in the Conviction Integrity Unit? In the manner that she's doing it? No. Uh, the title that she's doing it? No. We have so many fail-safe programs that, that we put into, into play. So uh, for instance, we have certain cases um, that uh, we might wind up with a one-on-one, -on -one and and we don't process that until we've got another set of eyes on it. Uh, we we don't write bad cases, okay? Um, so we we have people who are in our warrant division who are major crimes prosecutors, uh, not not our, our newbies or our beginners, and so we have all sorts of programs put into effect. And the result is, is that our appellate uh, affirmance is, is, is running at 98, 99%. And so um, 
it's it's for us um, being able to preserve evidence, and we have preserved evidence. Our our court, our our office in in Oakland County um, has a rule, and we preserve all of the evidence that many many other um, uh, prosecutors' offices don't. So I, I know that there was a problem uh, down in in Detroit in terms of, of preservation of evidence for, for these cases for that unit. We have everything that we need to preserve it. So if there if there is something that's brought to to attention where there's something that is in fact wrong, we're able to pull out that entire file and do something about it. But we also have, because uh, we had to, to, to cut a lot and we're very, very organized, uh, we have a lot of fail safes in our office. So you saw her answer that she has no intention of starting one of these clinics because she thinks because the Court of Appeals is upholding her appeals at a 98% rate, that she has no reason to look, no reason to think that there was a mistake ever done. And you also watched my episode with Prosecutor Marlinga, mm -hmm. who was the prosecutor over Kenny Wanako's trial, who says, my office failed. Mm -hmm. My office did not provide justice for Kenny Wanako. In fact, we screwed the whole thing up and he spent nine years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He's been remorseful. He's been, he's, he's cried about it and told Kenny that he was so sorry about it. One of the most respected prosecutors I've ever talked to. And I'm a huge proponent of this uh, integrity unit. And I think that every county, every state, I know Dana Nessel, who's also endorsed you, has a statewide unit. So you heard Jessica Cooper give her answer. I'm going to ask you the same question, Karen. If you were elected to Oakland County, are you going to start a conviction integrity unit for Oakland County? Yes, absolutely, 100%. This issue really gets me fired up. I, you know, one of the things Carl Marlinga said that really struck me um, in either your show or um, the series I watched on Netflix, he said, the prosecutor's job is to seek justice. It's to prosecute people, but it's also to set innocent people free. And it really struck me. You know, my career started as an assistant prosecutor. I prosecuted child sexual assault cases. I've sat with victims of very, very terrible violent crimes. And um, I have a lot of compassion that fuels me in, in the way I approach everything I do. But equally, I have compassion for people who serve long or short sentences for something they didn't do. And I, I don't know how anybody cannot understand that that is equally tragic. Um, and the, the, the great thing about the, the Conviction Integrity Unit is, you know, it has to be done a certain way. You, you have to have somebody come from the outside, a defense attorney, and start your unit because how it works is they, that prosecutor, who's now a prosecutor, evaluates all new evidence that comes to them through all different ways to, to decide whether or not they are going to recommend to the elected official, the prosecutor, 
that relief should be granted. And it might be a new hearing. It might be a new trial. It might be total exoneration. There was somebody exonerated in Wayne County that served over 40 years in prison and DNA evidence exonerated him. It's really important that that person come from the outside because if you just assign it to somebody in the office, they're really essentially being asked to police their own, you know, peers, which doesn't really work. When I heard Jessica Cooper's statements, it's not surprising to me. I've heard her say things like that before. And really, you know what she's really saying? She's really saying, I don't acknowledge that I make mistakes. I don't acknowledge that we might get it wrong and we don't have that problem. And that Mike is so dangerous. It's dangerous. And I, I can't stress enough how important it is that we need a new prosecutor. I mean, for somebody to say, you know, I think her comments were, we, we have really good people making charging decisions. <laughs> I mean, that is not the barometer of whether or not there was a wrongful conviction. I'm sure, I'm sure she, I know she does. She has great people in that office. Some of them know exactly what they're doing, but we have to have a mechanism where we, we can say we got it wrong and we want, we want to fix it. Isn't that just as important as protecting victims of crime? I think it is. I mean, she hasn't been there only 12 years. What about the people who've been there for over 12 years? Before right. her time, she's not willing to look at those cases either. It's scary. And it's 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 really impressive, Karen, that you are willing to admit mistakes if mistakes are made, look back at prior prosecutors. I mean, the fact that Kim Worthy can do that, it's, I mean, it shows where her ego is. It shows where her integrity is. And I know people, you know, she's controversial to an extent, as, as probably all prosecutors are. But the fact that she brought in, and I think this is important for our listeners or people who don't know what these conviction integrity units are. And I didn't know Valerie Newman until we met uh, a few months back. I, I hadn't heard of her, I'm not in that world, but she's, she's, she was a she's very- a well she's, that's what She's that's where she grew up. That's I was just gonna say a very well-respected defense attorney coming into the prosecutor's office to then put on the prosecutor's badge, which is, like rarer than rare. And and yeah. that's what, that's like you said, you'd have to find a great defense attorney, a die, you know, usually a liberal, usually somebody who doesn't like the prosecution, who's now coming into the prosecution. It's a very strange marriage. And these wrongful intent, I mean, wrongful convictions, you don't have to have a D after your name to be infuriated by that. I mean, this isn't really, that is not a partisan issue. I, I don't know any, I, mean, I talk to people all day long every day. I know you do too. Nobody thinks it's okay that we have people serving, you know, serious life, life sentences, long-term sentences when they're wrongfully convicted because of ego. You know, the Winemco case that, you know, those, that was ego. That was ego and a, a very power hungry, you know, I, you know, I know better. I know you're guilty. I don't even need to prove it. And look, I'm not going to lie. I started as an assistant prosecutor. I know that kind of that kind of attitude does exist. Um, but most people, most prosecutors, most defense attorneys, you know, most judges, we really do all want the same thing. We live in this community. We we want to see dangerous people held accountable. We want to see everybody held accountable. But we also want to see fairness and and truth. And um, 
and we want to know that the system is is fair. We don't want the really dangerous combination of somebody whose ego is so overpowering that they can't acknowledge when they made a mistake. That's very dangerous. I agree with you. Literally, based upon just those two answers about bail and about the conviction integrity, you've convinced me, for what it's worth, to switch my vote in favor of you. Um, so I look forward to getting my absentee ballot, which should be coming very soon. You're not um, alone. You're not alone. There, yeah, I have a lot uh, of support. The campaign's going really well. If you can't, if you can't even look to see if you made a mistake, um, that's just a scary, scary thing. Um, and speaking about power-hungry prosecutors, what did you think of that in the Kenny Wanenko, uh Netflix amazing series, episode nine on the Innocence Files, as well as I've now done two podcasts with him, one with a juror who convicted him, who's very apologetic, and one with um, Judge Marlinga. Um, but that Linda Davis, the prosecutor in that case, who then no, judge, right? a district court judge, yeah, that scares the shit out of me. It should. It should. Um, Do you know her? Have you ever come across her? I, I don't. I don't. But when I was watching that, you know, there, look, we're talking about a culture change, a culture change that is going to be difficult because in the prosecutor's office, many of those people have grown up in that system and you're not allowed to say what you think. You are always wanting, you, you have to ask for the, the toughest sentence the highest charge. And if you go to your superior and say, look, I, I'm not sure that this is, we should go forward. You're deemed weak. You're deemed as somebody who doesn't want to try a case. So a lot of people just, you know, keep their heads down and do what they're supposed to do. Um, and that, that's not how it should be. It, and, but you can't change that unless you elect a new prosecutor. You really can't. You, know, um, you just brought up an interesting point that I wasn't going to ask you, but this is something that I that I struggle with when I talk to lawyers and defense lawyers and prosecutors. You know, we all in life want to win, especially lawyers, right? We went to law yeah. school to win. And we want to win arguments. Just ask my kids and my husband. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. want to win. Look at look what I do and look what I have all over. I mean, I, I like to win. We all like to win. Yeah. But the prosecutor's job is to seek justice. Mm -hmm. But these are human beings who want to win their case. And this Linda Davis in the Kenny Wanako trial showed the steps that she was going to take to win by getting a lying piece of crap jailhouse snitch by, by doing all the things that she did that I won't rehash all the episodes and everything right now, but she talking, to the, wanted, talking to the witness in, in the middle of a lineup, the fake lineup. Right. But the, the fact that she wanted to win it for whatever reason she wanted to win, whether you know, she wanted to be a judge, she wanted to run. She ran for Carl Marlinka's spot as prosecutor. She wanted to win. She wanted to prove. She win, win, win above whether or not Kenny was guilty or not. Okay, but but I so I get wanting to win. If I was a prosecutor, I'd want to win. Mm -hmm. um, so how you know how are you going to talk to your hundred plus you know assistant prosecuting attorneys and explain to them that it's just not about the win and it's. It's about justice. It's about seeking truth. It's it's about dropping cases, even though we have this and we don't think the person did it. How do you change that mindset and tell people it's just not about the win? Well, I think you change it by when changing the culture of the office. You know, 
Um, one of the things that I think is really important, and this is kind of getting inside baseball, like most of the public doesn't care about it, but I care about it a lot because I was in the office. We don't have um, a prosecutor right now who, who values constructive feedback and observation. Most prosecutors are not, you know, they're in courtrooms and they're, they're, um, their bosses or their section leaders or their chiefs, they're not in there watching what that prosecutor is doing. And what I'm really um, excited about is the learning and mentoring and training portion of being a prosecutor. I, I want to be in the courtrooms. I want my face to be seen. I want to be able to mentor and train younger prosecutors, give constructive feedback. You can't do that if you're not willing to get out and, and, and about. And the thing is, I, I get it. The prosecutor's job, they're, they're dealing with 100 million things. But at the end of the day, we should be training good um, lawyers, smart lawyers with integrity that match, you know, the principles that I want to bring to the office. And, you know, I have, I'm very positive about it. I really am because many of those people I know because I, I used to work with them and, you know, I, I'm just aware of the talent that's there. Um, but we have to give them permission to ask the tough questions and we have to nudge them in the right direction. So, you know, to, to put it, I guess, a little bit more directly, if I had somebody who continues to take that, um, that path and that approach in the courtroom, then, you know, if, if they're not willing to change their tune, then, you know, it's probably time for them to to find another job. Um, but I believe that I'm going to start from a place of, listen, we're going to do things a little differently here. You're not going to just go into a courtroom and just worry about the win. We, we've got to ask tougher questions. And hopefully, Mike, that will give us an opportunity to focus on the crimes that we really do want our very good prosecutors, you know, focusing on the trials that really are valid and important. And, you know, that you and I want those people to be aggressively prosecuted. That, that's what criminal justice reform is all about, putting the yeah, focus I mean, as you're, that was a good answer. And, and as you're giving that answer, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm soft on crime. I know you're not soft on crime. But on the Kenny Winanko trial, they had such a botched lineup. And Linda Davis and Detective Ostin were so crooked, in my opinion, that they missed the guy who did it, which they eventually caught through the DNA evidence that they never tested. So... You know, by that, by prosecutors and, and bad detectives doing the wrong thing, you're missing the real criminal. So in that case, the real criminal is out there. Had they tested right. the cigarette butts, had they tested the, the panties in, 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 that they found in the bedroom that Detective Ostin was trying to cover up because the woman had an affair earlier that day, they would have found the guy who did it, who looked exactly like the sketch, unlike Kenny didn't look. And I, it, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just to me so mind blowing. Uh, it is. And, you know, there's, there's really a lot of interest and focus in this. You know, I'm sure you saw the film Just Mercy. Oh my I mean, God. I can't even get through that story, which I've, you know, I've read and, 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 you know, viewed without really being emotionally impacted by that. I mean, can you imagine? If you watch that movie and don't cry. You do yeah. not have one of these. You no. know, my daughter, my 17 year old daughter and I watch it. We're sobbing. Yeah. I mean, and I, and it's, the, you know, the thing about that movie, Karen, uh, I didn't, I unfortunately didn't read the book, 
it's it's like a uh, it's like a guideline post for all the wrongful convictions that I've read about. Right, bad cops, bad judges, horrible defense attorneys at, at the beginning, and on and on and on. At jailhouse snitches, right? The jailhouse snitch in that case. The jailhouse snitch thing is a is a real problem with that comes up in wrongful convictions. They, you know, there's a real movement to to do away with that. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I just want to talk about here. Here's the real contrast, which is you know, kind of getting into the weeds of it. But how do we talk about criminal justice reform? How do we talk about wrongful convictions? And also continue the conversation about protecting victims of crime. That that is that is an issue, and I I don't want to be somebody that loses sight of protecting victims of crime. But the reason I bring this up is because you know I just kept thinking like when I watched the the um, innocence files the when I'm um, I kept thinking okay how would I have dealt with this differently. And I think I would have sat with the victim and said, look, I want justice for you, but I know you want to, you want to make sure we convict the right person, because if we don't, then the, the person who really did this to you is still out on the street. Um, those kind of conversations with victims of crime are really important. And most people, you know, do get caught up with just, I want someone to pay, but they also at the, at the real heart of it, you know, they want the system to be just and fair, um, just as much as, as anyone else does. So, I did after those nine years or whatever, I mean, what was he doing? Probably doing that to somebody else. And it's just terrible. Right. Right. No, no, it, it's a really good point. And, and, you know, what Carl Marlinga said in, in our podcast, because I asked him point blank, you know, about feeling bad that it was him who was the prosecutor. And actually, Kenny stuck up for him because you have 100 prosecutors running around. You don't know every trial that's happening. I mean, you might have heard of it and you might know what's happening, but you didn't know what the prosecutor, you know, he didn't know what Linda Davis was doing. He didn't know what Detective Ostin was doing. Um, and it's it's that's a challenge because you have thousands of prosecutors. I don't know how many, tens of thousands of prosecutions a year that it's hard to keep track of. And, you know, I don't know how I would do that. And I, you know, that's going to be your problem, hopefully one day. Oh, I, I mean, I have some ideas. Um, I think one of the real issues right now with our current prosecutor is just the extremely poor um, and non-existent relationships she has with everyone else. I mean, I have Kim Worthy and three other statewide prosecutors. And to be honest with you, I probably could have called a lot more and asked for their endorsement because they not only believe in what I'm doing and me as a candidate, but Jessica Cooper won't cooperate and she won't go to the PAM, which is the Prosecuting Association of Michigan, which is the association that under the attorney general really helps move the needle on legislation and weighs in and they do collaborative training and she won't attend and she won't um, participate in that organization. Likewise, you know, when I was on the, the circuit bench, most of us didn't even, we're not, you can't pick up the phone and call the prosecutor. You know, she, she is not available. She's, um, doesn't want a relationship. She doesn't want to work cooperatively with anybody. So I guess, you know, I don't worry so much about what, you know, assistant prosecutors doing things that they shouldn't be doing and me not knowing about it because 
I have a very good relationship with every, all of my colleagues, my former colleagues on the bench, they pick up the phone and call me and say, you know, we, we got some issues here. Um, and defense attorneys, that's, that's one thing too. I really said, look, I'm not saying I'm going to do everything you want me to do, but a critical component of my platform is creating advisory councils and committees made up of different people, communities of color for one thing. I don't, you know, I want to know what the people of Pontiac think and how do I know if I never listen? Um, the defense bar, sitting down with these, these groups on a routine basis, not just when I want to get reelected and saying, tell me what you think, what's going on? What, what's your frustrations? You know, because even popping in and out of courtrooms, you're not going to get that kind of feedback. And that is critical in, in real reform. It's easy to insulate yourself and just surround yourself by people with people who are always going to tell you you're great and tell you yes. And I, I have always made it a really strong, um, what's been really important to me as a professional and just as a human being is I always surround myself with people that are smart or smarter than I am and who are not afraid to tell me they think that I'm wrong. Um, accepting feedback and being pushed and nudged and questioned is essential. And we're going back to our whole, you know, thing that we started with ego. You, you have to put your ego aside. And, you know, when I was a judge, I, I had a staff of six people and sometimes they would say, look, judge, I think you got that wrong. Or I think you misread this, or I'm not sure this was the right thing to do. No one likes it, but I'm so proud that I had people like that around me and that I kept them and hired them because that's what keeps you in check. And that's really, really important, you know, to be effective in any job, but especially that job. Great. So one of my last questions to you that, that I don't know a whole bunch about, but it, it's, it was on one of the ACLU checklist when we were talking about uh, prosecutors and their opinions. You have a pretty strong opinion about marijuana expungements. And I don't I do. know the issue, except I can imagine now that it's legal and rec uh, le recreational is legal here in Michigan. There are people sitting in jail and prison on marijuana convictions. Can you explain for our audience? Um, well, yeah. What, what I mean, what's the issue and what is your position on it? So it's most, it's, the bigger, the real um, offense people talk about when they talk about expungement is possession of marijuana cases. And, um, you know, we know it's now legal. And so there are people who have convictions on their record for possession of marijuana. And as you and I both know, that can really hold you back from doing things that you want to do. I mean, um, it can hold you back from getting housing, from getting employment, from um, all sorts of things. And so there is a move to expunge those uh, convictions. So because we know now that that behavior is not a criminal behavior any longer. And, you know, I like I really challenge myself on a daily basis to just, OK, what's where is this belief coming from? Does it make sense? What 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 can we do here? What, what is my position? And I just cannot find a good reason to not expunge possession of marijuana charges of somebody's record. It's not, it's not criminal anymore. How is it helping our community to keep people um, with a criminal record for possession of marijuana? How's that helping? It's not helping the, the individual. It's not helping you or me. Um, it's just a, a barrier now we're putting up because we're drawing this line in the sand and um, I just don't think it makes sense. So I, I can't wrap my head around somebody 
who insists that those charges remain on somebody's record when they could walk down the street right now and, and possess marijuana and it wouldn't be a criminal charge. It just doesn't make sense to me. So if you become our next Oakland County prosecutor, if when, when, I, when, if you do, when you do this, if somebody, if a defense attorney makes a motion to expunge a record, you are going to be telling your ASAs not to contest that expungement. I, that's, that's correct. And I'm also going to support um, the movements that are going on right now. I know there's, they're working on it in the governor's office and some of the statewide electeds are working on um, automatic expungement for marijuana offenses. Which so, would save people money from having to hire guys like me to go into court. That would be nice. You know what? The reality, is my, reality is they won't. You know, they're not going to do that. Nobody's, I mean, some people will, but most people who have those kinds of um, convictions on their record are not going to spend that kind of money. It, it, it's, it's a hassle. I mean, and it's inexpensive. So um, I'm supportive of automatic expungement um, legislation. Wonderful. So, so before I let you go, because I know you had a busy day ahead of you, um, any other points of difference between you and Prosecutor Cooper that you want to point out for our audience um, as they're making their decisions on who to vote for very soon? You know, I don't like disparaging my opponent, so I focus on policies. And I guess when the voters are filling out their ballot, I really want them to, to think about whether or not our county wants to be the county that is stuck in a very antiquated, stati antiquated status quo way of approaching our criminal justice system, or do we want somebody who understands that we need change and reform and cares about racial disparity and cares about people who aren't, who aren't um, you know, who are convicted wrongly um, and wants to treat people with dignity and respect. You know, nobody in my life would say I'm, you know, not tough. I, I'm known for being tough when, when I need to be, but I'm also known to be um, compassionate and, and reasonable. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. So I, I really think Oakland County needs a new prosecutor. And I really think that um, they, voters will make the right decision. I have, I mean, not only do I have so many endorsements, but I also have an army of volunteers who have just come forward, people I don't even know that really want to get involved and want to see this change. So that's just, I think, something to, to remember when you fill out your ballot. The prosecutor matters. The prosecutor decides who's being charged with a crime and what they're being charged with. And the prosecutor is the person that's going to help fix and lead the charge of, of fixing our criminal justice system, which some say, including me, is broken. So um, the prosecutor matters. That So on August 4th, on the Dem primary, on the Democratic side, um, vote Karen McDonald. All right, well said. Karen, pleasure meeting you. Thank you for coming on to Open Mic, and best of luck to you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. What you're going to hear. We've got a lot of desperate people in the city. On my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Thank you for watching Open Mic with Karen McDonald, who I think could be your next Oakland County prosecutor. She had some really good, thoughtful answers, things that I care about, things I hope you care about. And I think there was a pretty stark contrast between her answers and Jessica Cooper answers. But if you're not sure, 
Go watch the interview with Jessica Cooper. Watch Karen McDonald's interview, and you make the choice for yourself. If you thought this was a good episode, please share it, like it, comment, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Open Mic. Thank you.